Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. Thanks, band. It was awesome. Uh, definitely an awesome morning so far, and uh, just an awesome weekend here at FBC. We had a, a family experience here on Friday, our movie night. Probably lots of you were here. I know some of you, uh, the dog sled wasn't available, so you didn't make it, um, but it was a pretty cool event. I, I always feel like it's really great if I get to speak on a Sunday right after one of our movie nights, because um, I feel like I can still sense and maybe even smell that sweet aroma of buttery popcorn in the air, and that kind of gives me the power to preach or what have you. Also, it's kind of a benefit to you guys, because our vacuuming volunteers are amazing, but I'm going to guess that somewhere in the cracks of the benches that you're sitting on, if you get bored, you could probably dig out a few popcorn kernels uh, from the 600 bags that we made uh, if the first service people left any for you. Um, I, I think I have, uh, well, I think there's kind of something wrong with me. I think I have some psychological problems. Um, well, I know I probably for sure have some, but I have, a, a while ago I, I told uh, on a Sunday morning that uh, sometimes ever since I started working here at FBC, I have dreams sometimes of things just going crazy on a Sunday morning, and it's really disturbing. I wake up, and it's like, oh, I ruined church. Um, but I had this weird dream last night. Uh, you don't have to take notes. This isn't like, uh, I just wanted to share this with you. This weird dream that last night I was sitting in church, and, um, and it, there were lots of things that were weird, but Doug's daughter came up to me, and she was crying. I saw her, she's doing, she started crying, and so I'm talking to her, and then all of a sudden I realized that like the music had stopped Like at some point. Everyone's out there, and I was like, man, am I supposed to be on stage or something? And I went up to Neil, I was like, am I supposed to be up there? He's like, yeah, I told you to come up, but you just didn't. And so everyone's just kind of leaving. So I'm really relieved this morning to be here, I think at the right time. So uh, I I think we did this right. So I'm happy that, I I don't know what's wrong with my mind, but I got some issues. Anyways, uh, if you've been with us the last few weeks, we are uh, on week four of our eight-week Colossians series. So Today we'll mark our halfway uh, point, um, and uh, next week we're actually, most of the staff is out of town, so we're taking a break from the series, um, and uh, we're going to have Barry, Barry McKeekin speaking, the, he does a lot of the music here, probably lots of you know him, an old friend of mine, and um, so we're going to have a week off the Colossians thing, and I tell you that for two reasons. One, uh, some of you, uh, you know, you can get excited and be like, oh, sweet, we're going to hear Barry. Some of you, if you're like me, you can like skip town and be like, I don't want to hear Barry, um, so... <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, uh, I know that he's going to be making fun of me for sure on stage here next Sunday. I said to get something in before that. Anyways, um, I hope you guys have been enjoying the Colossians series. Uh, you know, I, throughout my life, I've read through the Bible a whole bunch of times and read, you know, different parts more in there. And if you've read through the Bible a bunch, you probably have found that you connect with certain parts more than other parts. And you probably find that, you know, some parts really stick out to you and some you don't connect with as much. And I'll, I'll be really honest, Colossians has never really been a book that I've been like, 
You know, this is kind of my go-to or, you know, something I've really connected with a lot. And it's really good. I think I'm just kind of more, well, I know I'm a little bit more of kind of a linear person. And Colossians isn't really written like some of the other letters are in the Bible that kind of, uh, I guess, cater to that kind of thing. And so anyways, um, this series has been really cool for me because, uh, like, I have to spend a lot of time in Colossians in the text. And, and I've, been in, I've been loving it. And I hope it's been cool for you guys. You know, our mission here is to lead people into a grown relationship with Jesus Christ. So I hope that uh, our time in Colossians has been helpful in that. One of the challenges that we face as a staff is, you know, uh, 52 Sundays in a year sounds like a lot, but when you start talking about all the different topics we might cover or, you know, if we want to do books of the Bible and, and things like that, it gets hard to know kind of what pace to do things at, you know, because we could just do one or two verses of Colossians a week. But then, you know, I kind of get the idea that, you know, someone will be like, remember the 2010s? You know, it was the decade of Colossians at FBC. And people are like, yeah, I remember that. Um, but then also, if we move too fast, it's hard to catch everything. So this morning, we're looking at Colossians 2, 6 to 15. And it's not a long chunk, but I mean, it's just, there's so much there. And I'm going to do my best to pull some ideas out of it. But as always, I'd encourage you to spend some time at home with the text because there's way more there than what we can get out of it this morning. I had a lot more. We're going to be jumping around to some different sections in the Bible to cross-reference and stuff. But in rehearsal this week, it was really long. And I thought that uh, you know, I didn't want to like force you guys to practice fasting just because I'm going to preach for four hours. So cut some of that out, but I hope you guys will spend some time with the text. Um, also, I'd encourage you to, um, we have the passage on the screen in the app, but if you've got a Bible on your phone or one of the like Bible Bibles, or there's some in the footrests in the pews there, uh, feel free to grab one out. It's nice to see it in the larger context. Um, anyways, uh, I know we've already spent some time praying together this morning. I'm just going to pray and invite God to speak to us this morning. So why don't you join me? God, thank you so much that uh, Paul wrote this letter, and a couple thousand years later, it, it still speaks to us, and it's still so rich and full of your truth. Uh, I pray that you would just show up and, and speak to us this morning, God, that uh, this morning would just, would just be your time to speak into our hearts and, and continue to grow our faith, God. And we love you so much. Amen. So, uh, I know it's kind of ironic because I said I'm a bit of a linear person, but we're actually going to, we're doing 6 through 15. We're actually going to start in 9 and go to 15 and come back to 6 to 8 at the end. So I hope that doesn't set off any big like uh, OCD triggers or anything like that. But we're going to be looking at verses 9 to 15 first. In life, you've probably heard things or come across things that are just too good to be true. And when you do come across things that are too good to be true, uh, you, you generally... They are exactly that. They're too good to be true, so they're not true. That's generally what you'll find. You know, like all of us would love to think that there actually is, in fact, a Nigerian prince. I don't even know if Nigeria has a, a monarchy, but there's a Nigerian prince out there who is so rich but can't figure out how to get his money to North America aside from my help. So for the low price of my social insurance number, you know, he'll give me a bunch of his wealth. And that, that sounds awesome. We'd all love to believe that, but, but that is... That is, in fact, too good to be true. If any of you are currently emailing with a Nigerian prince, just stop. Um, unless you're just friends, that's fine. Anyways, uh, that's too good to be true. You know, I had a guy a bit ago who uh, hit me up. I haven't talked to him in years. He's from the States, and he uh, was telling me about this uh, multi-level marketing energy company he's part of. And, um, you know, it's legitimate, and people make money that way and stuff. And he wanted to get me involved selling energy. And... Um, but the thing about it is he sent me this presentation video, and the, the sense I got in a few minutes of watching this video is that if I, if I just sign up and do a little bit of work, within like weeks, I'll be a millionaire. 
But, but I know that's not true. I know you can make money uh, running businesses like that, and I, I know you can work hard and make a living and stuff, but I, but I know I'm not just going to turn into like some like energy-selling mogul overnight. It's too good to be true. Sometimes you hear things that are kind of too good to be true, but they actually are true. So if you're an Albertan, you'll remember uh, this like glorious thing that happened. If you're from, from Saskatchewan, first of all, I'm sorry, but you'll also maybe remember this out of jealousy, but maybe Albertans remember about 13 or 14 years ago, Ralph Bucks. You guys remember that? Our province was just that awesome that they're just like, if you do your taxes, we'll just give you money, you know? And uh, at that point, I was just kind of becoming an adult, and I wasn't doing a very good job in a lot of ways of becoming an adult. Um, And one of those was ever getting my taxes done. But that year, taxes done as as quickly as possible. You know, nothing was getting my way because there's just free money, you know? And it was awesome. As we've been journeying through Colossians, what Paul is really centering on here is just this message of the gospel, which the Bible overall, I'd say, is a grand narrative that centers on that, but especially this letter, it just brings out the idea of this thing called the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. The fact that Jesus is God over all the universe, that he created it all, that he's perfect, he's supreme, he's the king of kings. And over here is us, we're born with a sinful nature, with a selfish desire, and we go against what God created us for. But in his grace and compassion, he offers us forgiveness through his death on the cross. And we can choose to live in that gospel. And in Colossians 1, we see that Paul encourages the people in the church in Colossae to live a life worthy of the calling of the gospel. What we're going to be doing this morning is uh, going through verses 9 to 15, and we're going to be looking at uh, what I call uh, the believer's benefits or the benefits of a believer. And there, there are many, but these verses will show us a few benefits of what it looks like to be a believer in the gospel. And what I mean by that, I'll, I'll just explain that really quick, is it's not just someone who can come to church and say, I, I think that's probably true, I agree, or you know, I mostly don't disagree with that, but someone who has come to the realization of what the gospel is and said, yes, that is something that I want to commit and submit and surrender my life to. That's something that I want to build my life around. I want to surrender my life to the incredible love and grace of Jesus Christ and live my life according to the way that he has called me and follow him. And I want to really quickly say that, that I think that this, what we look at this morning is going to kind of uh, apply to two different groups of people in different ways. First of all, maybe you've been here for a while. Maybe you're someone who you're like, yeah, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. I follow him. He's the foundation of my life. So as we journey through these, these are believe benefits that you have because of the fact that you put your faith in the gospel. And what I hope this morning is two things. One, maybe you're really familiar with this and it's not new material, but that will drive us to be thankful and recognize how good of a gift we have in who Jesus Christ is. And secondly, that it will remind us of our responsibilities and our calling as followers of Jesus Christ because of the benefits that have been given to us just by virtue of the fact that we've put our trust in Jesus Christ. Secondly, I know that every week at FBC there are people who are here for their first time, and I know every week there are people here who, who you know, some of the stuff we talk about sounds weird, and you, you don't believe in Jesus Christ, you haven't put your faith in Jesus, and, and that's okay. I want you to know we're, we're so glad you're here, and you can stay here forever and disagree with us forever if you'd like. But I want you to know that our greatest desire and what we believe as a church is the most important decision you could ever make in your life is to, is to subscribe to this and to commit your life to following Jesus Christ. So as we talk through some of the benefits of being a believer as outlined in Colossians 2 here, hopefully that will give you a glimpse of what 
what I believe is available to anybody who would put their faith in Jesus Christ. I'm going to try to move really fast here because uh, I know you guys are hungry and also I get hungry too. So uh, we got a lot to cover here. First of all, we're going to look at verses 9 and 10. And the first benefit we see here is the believer's position. So if you've got a bulletin or apps, you can follow along with that. Uh, for in Christ... All the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. If you've been coming to FBC for a while, you know that Doug and I, we talk about the divinity, the deity of Jesus, the fact that he is the God that spoke and the universe leapt into existence. You've heard us talk about that. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time there. But what I want to look at is this idea of Christ bringing you as a believer to fullness. And you find other references throughout the Bible that talk in the same way. It talks about how you've been brought to fullness or how Jesus' fullness lives within you. His spirit dwells within you. And I'm not going to pretend to actually totally understand really what that completely means. I mean, there are some ideas and some pictures we can get from Scripture of that, but what does it actually mean for the God who created the universe to dwell fully in you and to bestow his fullness on you. Uh, Rather than uh, spend a whole bunch of time uh, doing this, I actually would encourage you guys, give you a little bit of homework, go home and read through Ephesians chapter 1. Get your family to read through it and and just underline. I hope you guys write in your Bibles. I do all the time. It's it's good. Um, But underline all the things that relate to your position, who you are, your identity, as a believer in Jesus Christ. And I'll give you a bit of an idea of what that looks like in Ephesians 1, but I hope you'll spend some time with that text on your own. But as you read through Ephesians 1, you'll see that it says that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you follow him, that Jesus has bestowed every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms on you. And it goes on to say that before the creation of the world, that Jesus predestined you to be adopted as his son or his daughter. We sing this song earlier, Sons and Daughters, and it's kind of a simple song that we sing here sometimes, but it's actually a big deal. The God who created the universe, the one who has supreme rule over everything, who sustains the universe, the king of kings, the ultimate figure of royalty on planet earth in the entire universe, has adopted you to be his son or his daughter. You are royalty in the most powerful and the only everlasting kingdom that has ever existed, and that is a huge deal. And that's something to be thankful for. That's something to thank Jesus daily for, but also to live in response to. If you continue on in, in Ephesians 1, you'll see that uh, it, Paul talks about how, how God is rich in his, in his grace and also that he has a rich inheritance. We saw in Colossians 1 how Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. Through Jesus, God's rich inheritance comes. And Ephesians 1 says that the riches of his grace and the riches of his inheritance and his e- eternal inheritance are lavished upon you generously, that you're immersed in the riches of the, of the most glorious and rich being to ever exist. Ephesians 1 tells you that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, when Jesus died on the cross and a few days later came back to life, that exact same power exists within you when you choose to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And you'll also see that Ephesians 1 tells you that God's fullness fills and dwells within the church. I don't know if on a Sunday morning when you drive to church, if you really think about it that much, and it's probably easy to think that, you know, you're coming to a building made out of bricks and wood and whatever else, and all, you know, all the things, and then when you get here, there are people who are made out of flesh and bones filling it. But if, if you read this, the text, what it, would, what it would suggest is that within the church, there's something way bigger going on than the physical. There's a spiritual reality 
which I think we often neglect and take for granted, that we have hundreds of people indwelt with the spirit of the holy and eternal God existing in a community that is filled with the fullness of who he is. And that's incredible. Our position as believers is that we are children of this most high God filled with his glory and his grace. Uh, we go on, uh, we're going to go on in a second, and I just really w- quickly want to say that in this next passage, I don't know what happens, but whenever we come to like one of Paul's letters, it, there's this thing that kind of randomly happens where I always end up with the passages on circumcision. Um, so I, Doug comes to me maybe, I guess, with like, hey, here's a breakdown of weeks. Maybe you speak, and I think he's being courteous and just saying, hey, I figured it out. I think he's just being uh, strategic and being like, Ryan, you talk about this. I don't want to talk about this. So anyways, we're going to be looking at some verses on circumcision. And the, actually, the, the next benefit of being a believer is the believer's circumcision. And I really quickly want to say before you dive into this text, if there are kids here and you're like, I don't know what circumcision is. Uh, I'll just really quickly tell you what it is. Uh, circumcision is an amazing uh, topic of conversation for your drive home with your parents today after church, okay? <laughs> Sorry, bad joke. I'll cut it out. Okay. Even worse, right? Okay. Verse 11 and 12. In him... You were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you read the narrative of the Bible, when you read the whole story, you get this picture that God is always throughout all time concerned with the holiness and the righteousness of his people. He always wants his people to be set apart from the world. He's, he doesn't want us to just be a subject, like subject to whatever culture directs us to be. He doesn't want us to just fall into those paths, but he wants us to be holy, to be righteous, to be pure. And so what happened was in the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, God instated this practice called circumcision. And people did it for two reasons. First of all, because God commanded it. And secondly, because it represented uh, the idea of putting off the flesh. Throughout the Bible, you get this imagery of the flesh, our flesh being our sinful nature, which we're enslaved to and can only be escaped by Jesus removing us from that sinful nature. Now, I'm not saying we don't still struggle with sin, but, but the, the, the Bible tells us that when we put our faith in Jesus, he actually frees us from, from being subjected to the flesh, to the sinful nature. And so this idea of circumcision, this removal of flesh, actually represents that. And so in the Old Testament, they used to practice that. Now, in the New Testament, things changed a bit. We have this thing called the New Covenant. Now, some people, they read the Bible, and they read the Old Testament, and they think, okay, we're done with that. Jesus came. That's all over. And that's a really bad way to read the Bible. That's, that's really unhealthy. There's a message Doug spoke a couple of years ago, and I love the analogy he had where he talked about the Old Testament being kind of like the main floor of your house. You might love hanging out on the second floor of your house, but without the main floor of your house, the second floor doesn't exist. It's the foundation that it's built upon. And when Jesus came, he took the Old Covenant, he took the teachings of the Old Testament, he didn't get rid of them, he fulfilled them and he enriched them and he made them better. He he increased that. And when you read Paul's letters, what he's saying is he's saying physical circumcision doesn't really matter anymore. You can do whatever, you know, people can choose. Well, I guess people don't really choose. I guess parents choose for people. I can't imagine a dude ever choosing that on their own. But, you know, that's up to people whether or not they want to do that. That's of no value physically. 
but it represents something beautiful. And what, what I love in this passage, because this doesn't happen a lot in the Bible, is Paul actually takes an Old Testament symbol and, and compares it, kind of draws a line to a New Testament symbol, the idea of baptism. Because in the same way that circumcision doesn't like actually do something on the spiritual level, it doesn't actually remove sin, it's, it's the same with baptism. You know, it's not like when we do baptisms here at FBC, we, we ship in a bunch of holy water from some mountain by the Vatican or have a bunch of Jesus dust that we throw in the water that like burns sin off of you and you come out like this brand new human. What it is, it's a symbol. It's, people often say it's kind of like a wedding ring, which is a funny analogy for Talisman because we don't have wedding rings, but it, it, it's, a wedding ring doesn't make you married. A wedding ring is a symbol of that commitment. And when you get baptized, it represents this old covenant of circumcision where we're saying, I'm not just accepting forgiveness, but I'm dying to my old way of life. I'm dying to my flesh. And it's represented here when Paul talks about how, you know, in the same way that God raised Jesus from the dead, he, he, God gives you freedom, which we're going to be coming up to again in a second, from the flesh. He forgives you. He helps you die to your sinful nature and brings you this newness of life, and it's amazing. And I really want to quickly say as an aside, if you're a Christian here and you've been following Jesus for a while and you, you, you haven't decided to get baptized, um, it's the same as in the Old Testament why they did circumcision. They did it for two reasons, and we do baptism here, here for two reasons. First of all, because Jesus commands it, and we believe in obeying him. The first step to being a believer in Jesus Christ, a follower, is obedience. You obey his teachings. And secondly, because it represents something beautiful. It represents you dying to your sinful, selfish ways and coming to this newness of life where, where Jesus sets you free. Maybe you're, you're struggling. You're like, I don't know if I'm ready. I don't know. You're ready. If you've chosen to put your faith in Jesus Christ, just obey him. We got classes coming up. And just, just come out. Let your excuses go to the side for a second and come out. So that's it's a little side about baptism. But this is an incredible benefit of being a believer, that Jesus comes and rescues you from your sinful nature and actually removes it in the same way that circumcision removes flesh. It removes you from the acts of your flesh. So you can go to work tomorrow now if you're a believer, and you can probably announce, I'm circumcised, okay? Um, unless you like your job, I wouldn't recommend doing that. So anyways... The third benefit we see in this passage is the believer's freedom. And this is pretty similar to what we're just talking about, but I love how Paul writes this out here. He says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Inherently, with your sinful nature and who you are with your selfish tendencies, you have a debt that you just can't pay, this legal debt that, that, that you're attached to that you just can't pay. And Jesus steps in and he says, I don't want you to be subject to that bondage. I want you to be free. But one of the things we do is we sometimes, as Christians, we come to know Christ and we accept that freedom, but then we go right back to the chains and the things that enslaved us. We want to go back and dabble with and live the lives from which God set us free. Christ has set you free. He's made you his son and his daughter. You don't need those things anymore. You don't need to be subject to the things that rule your life, except you can be ruled by the, 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 the amazing king and, and savior, Jesus Christ. He takes you from being a slave and offers you freedom so that you can be a part of his glorious kingdom and family. Verse 15, Paul says, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Jesus showed up, and he took the, the, the authority that the powers and authorities had, and I'll quickly say that this 
term here, powers and authorities, different scholars and theologians argue about the meaning, if that's like something spiritual like demons or if that's like government or people or, or whatever. And I don't think we have to conclude that, but we have to understand is that Jesus stepped in and he took the things that have authority in your life, that direct your life, that the leanings that, that, that you don't need in your life. He takes the authority and first it says he disarms that authority. Then when he gets on the cross, he makes a public spectacle of them. He, he, he mocks them. The, the picture of Jesus dying on the cross for our sins is him taking the powers and authorities that used to enslave you and, and, and making a spectacle of them and showing us how ridiculous and weak and pathetic they are. And then triumphs over them by the cross. In Christ, there is victory and there is freedom. And, and it's so good. And if that doesn't make you thankful for, for where you are in Jesus Christ, then I don't know what, you, what can. Our position, the circumcision and the freedom that we have in Christ as a, as a benefit of being his followers or, or just some of the message of the gospel. And, and it's incredible. And I'd encourage you to spend more time thanking Jesus for that, whether you know it or not, and living a life according, worthy, as Paul says in chapter one, worthy of the message of this gospel, worthy of who you are in Christ. We're gonna hop over to verse six to eight, and we're gonna wrap up here, spend a few minutes here. Um, uh, it starts with the word so then, so that means it, it, it continues on with where we were at last week, and so we'll come back to that in just a second, but let's just read this together. It says, so then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, uh, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. So if you were here last week, Doug was talking about, uh, you know, how in, at the end of uh, chapter one and the beginning of chapter two, how Paul is talking about the labor that he's, uh, that he's going through, the sufferings that he's going through for the sake of the church of Jesus Christ. And what's going on is Paul set up the message of the gospel and he said, it's so good. You know, I've, I've received forgiveness. Jesus has forgiven me. He's removed me from accusation and blemish. He's made me his son, his daughter. And so Paul is saying, so in response, I've committed my life to serving him, to serving his church. And as a result, there's suffering that happens. And the message of the gospel is pretty clear. Throughout the Bible, it, it, it guarantees you that if you're a follower of Jesus, you're, you're going to suffer. So Paul's in prison when he's writing this. He's in a hostile environment as far as the political structure and the political climate. And Doug last week was talking about how in our world, there are things that are happening around us that make it harder and harder to be a Christian. In the name of tolerance, we start to, you know, find that it's harder to have certain views or beliefs or opinions. And the cool thing is that Paul, and Doug outlined this a lot last week, is he looks, he looks at what's going on around him, and he doesn't say, oh man, this is awful, like I'm in jail, I'm being persecuted. He says, I rejoice. It's like, I am so thankful that I get to suffer for my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in the same ways that he suffered and labored for the church. And that sounds crazy to us. I mean, when we talk about suffering, we talk about how to avoid it, how to make it better, all these things. And the message that Paul and Jesus give is, is just suffer with joy. Consider yourself blessed. Be thankful in those moments. Watch your faith grow. And I, I, I'm not a masochist, but I sometimes really believe that if we had a healthier dose of perse real persecution in the church in North America, we might actually see our faith come to life in ways that we never thought were possible. 
I hope that when you hear a message like Doug's last week, that you don't walk away just focused on kind of the political climate idea or, or focused on what's going on in the world outside of us. Arguably, Paul and Jesus, when you read their teachings, we're in a more hostile and difficult environment to be a Christian. And I would say it sounds like it was probably none of us are going to get nailed to a cross any time in our lives. We might, but probably not. But what you don't see is them continuing to complain about the government, sit down and have political discussions and things like that. I mean, they reference it, but their main goal and their main point is in response to this, how do I live as a committed follower of Jesus Christ? And I hope you don't leave a message like last week saying, oh yeah, the government this, or people this. You say, me. How am I doing following Jesus Christ in response to what's going on around me? And don't, don't get me wrong, we shouldn't be politically unaware, and we shouldn't not care about changing that. Just a double negative. Does that make sense? We should care about changing the world around us. But your main goal should be to live a life worthy of the calling of the gospel. For sure, the church is being attacked from outside, and it is all throughout history. I guarantee you it always will be, no matter where you live. That's always just going to be a thing. What I want to look at, and you'll see maybe in your bulletins, your app notes, if you're using that, that I've, I've uh, titled this part, Hollow and Deceptive Philosophy, and this is kind of the idea I want to end on. It comes from verse 8, but you also see that in verse 4 it says, uh, he's talking and he says, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. So what Paul is saying, he's like, I don't want you to be deceived no matter how good the arguments sound. Because in verse 8, he says, these, these only depend on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. These, these depend on culture and feelings and emotions rather than on who Jesus Christ is, the author of truth, the author of the universe. And so I want to do something that's maybe a little bit different than... Uh, uh, what we usually do here at FBC and um, maybe different than what you've experienced in church. I, I think it's really easy for us to talk about the problems going on in the world outside of us, what's going on outside of the church and the attacks outside of the church on the church. That's no problem. I could probably say pretty much anything I want about like the prime minister or you know, some atheist on the internet and people would probably be like, yeah, no problem. Sometimes though, I think we get a little uncomfortable when we talk about things going on inside the church that are problematic. But if you read the teachings of Paul, I mean, he talks about hollow and deceptive philosophy. If you read in Philippians, he, talks, he calls them dogs, mutilators of the flesh, false teachers. He warns against false teachers on every page. And that is because there is always an attack on the church coming from within the church as well. That will always be here. And it, it changes what it is over the years, but it will always be there. And I, I want to get a little bit specific this morning. Uh, if you know me, I'm not a controversial or harsh or judgmental person. I, I hope I'm not. If I am, please come let me know. Um, so my goal up here isn't to ruffle feathers. But I think it's one thing for us to say, hey, go and don't be deceived by false teaching. Um, but if we never get specific, I don't think that's very directive, and I don't think that's very faithful to the text that we're teaching. So I'm going to uh, get a little bit specific. And I want to say that I don't think at FBC we've cornered the market on truth. I mean, we don't know every nuance of who God is. People come and ask us tough questions that we don't know the answers to, like, will my dog Fluffy be in heaven one day? And it's like, I don't know. That's what all dogs go to heaven is for. Go watch that. We don't, we don't know all these answers. But I think that there are some things, big things, big ideas that come up and movements that start to permeate. If you read the New Testament, you'll see that there are certain teachings, and we can see this in Colossians, that Paul is addressing as destructive and corrosive to the gospel. So we're going to get a little specific there. And I hope this doesn't, 
doesn't bother anyone. You can come talk to me about it afterwards if you want. Um, but we just care about you guys too much to see you be deceived by hollow and deceptive philosophy that is an attack on what the gospel is. The gospel is too good to be true. And to see that get attacked by hollow and deceptive philosophy coming from within the church makes me sad. And this is what I mean. I think if I turn on a TV and see a preacher on the TV or go on social media and see a preacher on there, one of the most common messages I'll hear nowadays is a message that if you have enough faith, if you believe enough, if you send enough money to the ministry of the guy who's on TV or whatever, that you'll be rich. Because Jesus doesn't want you to be poor. Jesus wants you to have tons of money. He wants your bank account to be overflowing. And don't get me wrong, I love the sound of that. That sounds great, but that is, that is hollow and deceptive philosophy. You see these guys preaching on the screen with a closed Bible in hand because there's nothing to open to that could point to that. And I'm not trying to be hard. I'm not using any names or harsh or anything like that. But if you read the message of the gospel, the message of the gospel is all about Jesus Christ. It includes suffering for the sake of the gospel. The message of the gospel isn't about you and you becoming rich. That's a gospel of greed, and that's, that's, a pervert, that, that is a, that's a disgusting twist on what the gospel is really all about. The gospel is about the fact that you've been created to bring glory to God, not that God's been created to bring glory to you and to give you money and pad your bank account. That's not what it's about. Similarly, you see preachers like that who get on, who get on the TV screen and they say, you know, if you send enough money to us, or if you believe enough, you'll never get sick. You'll be healed. God doesn't want you to ever be sick. And I don't know if someone played a mean trick and at one point went and cut the book of Job out of these guys' Bibles. And I'm not, again, I'm not hating on these guys, but that is hollow and deceptive philosophy. The gospel isn't about you. You know, you read the first verse of Job, and what does God say? This guy's the best dude in all the land. This guy's perfect. This guy's blameless. And he gets super sick. You're going to get sick. And it's not about your faith. And and one of the problems isn't that these people are teaching hollow and deceptive philosophy that corrodes and, and, and perverts and breaks down the gospel. One of the problems is that we're buying it as a church. Statistics show that, mo- that most Christians, the majority of Christians are buying this. And not only buying the message, but, but buying these guys' mansions and jets. And, and I don't care if people have mansions and jets, but not on the sake of lying about who Jesus Christ is and what the gospel is really all about. Maybe I seem angry, but I, you guys are just better. Th- the church is better than this. The church is better than these greedy lies that, that promote a gospel of greed. Uh, Doug and I were talking about what it would look, it would be so cool if we could build a time machine and go stand and, and watch Paul write one of his letters, like Colossians, where he's in jail, and, and probably on the other side of the bars, because, um, you know, I, I, I picture it getting pretty aggressive and heated. I don't picture Paul sitting there and be like, Jesus is supreme, uh, you guys should follow him. Yeah, I, I picture him getting animated and worked up, wake up in the middle of the night. Imagine him sitting in his prison cell. Suffering for the sake of the gospel. Paul's a a good dude. Paul's a faithful dude. Turning on his TV and seeing one of these guys saying, if you just believe in Jesus Christ and send us money, you'll be rich and healthy. And Jesus just wants you to be happy. He doesn't want you to suffer. Man, that would be the moment where you don't want to be anywhere near Paul. I imagine like the chair in his prison cell getting smashed across the bars, him losing his mind. And you say, Ryan, well, you know, I bought this book at a Christian bookstore. I heard it on a Christian television show or radio station or something like that. And I, I don't care. I mean, I don't know if you guys have been to Christian bookstores. They sell Dutch Blitz. And I don't know if you've ever played that with prairie-raised females. I've never experienced something more demonic. 
I know this because I'm married to a Mennonite and our Dutch Blitz is in like crazy disrepair. I don't care where you hear it. Truth is truth. Just because some store, and I don't have anything against Christian stations and stores, but just because they've put it on their shelf or put their stamp, just because you hear it at FBC, I don't think you should just believe it. Paul charges Timothy in his letter to him. He says, Do yourself, show yourself approved. Someone who correctly handles this. Study it and know it. Know truth. Because you hear someone say, Jesus just wants you to be happy and healthy and rich and, and all that. And you read a few pages of the Bible and you're like, uh, no, obviously. You don't need to be a Bible scholar to know that that's not true. Another big message I think is so dangerous in our church nowadays is this, this idea of universalism. Maybe you've heard of this idea that in the end, no matter what, love wins. And again, that's, that feels great. And I'd love to think that one day, everybody, no matter how bad they are, no matter what they chose to believe about Jesus Christ, will just end up in heaven in a place of perfect paradise. But the Bible is clear. I mean, if you actually read this, it says that there is eternity for those who believe in Jesus Christ and those who don't believe in Jesus Christ. And this is not only hollow and deceptive philosophy, but this is dangerous theology that will cost people their eternities if they believe it. They believe it doesn't matter what I think about Jesus. It doesn't matter what I do. And if we're actually teaching that and standing for that and letting people believe that, then we're letting people slip into a hopeless eternity. And that, that freaks me out. The last one I want to mention, and, and I know I'm getting pretty specific, is just nowadays, too, there's so much talk and, and, and books and ideas about how you can be a Christian and the church doesn't matter. And now, sometimes I feel uncomfortable talking about this because I work at a church and stuff like that. But I just don't understand how someone can pick up the Bible, turn to the New Testament, and, and read after the first few books the first letter to the church in Corinth. Second to the church in Corinth, the first letter to the church in Galatia, Ephesus. You know, you go all the way through to the end. Revelation, it's like this crazy book, but at the start, it's letters to seven specific churches. I believe that the church is this universal body that Jesus is a part of, and it's amazing, and it's beautiful. But the Bible it has this setting all throughout the text where in the Old Testament, God had specific faith communities meeting together in a physical place. And when the New Testament comes, Jesus says he's going to start this movement called the church and he suffers for it and he gives his life for it. And all his disciples do the same and they continue to write letters to specific church communities. This matters and is a part of our faith and people are giving up on it and stopping fighting for the main vehicle that Jesus wants to bring his gospel to the world through. Because we heard a podcast one time that tells us it's not about that. Jesus is all about the church. The gospel is too good to be true. And through the church, he works and he gave his life for it. And he calls us to do the same. He says, be responsible with the church, which he calls his body and his bride. Give to it. Give your time. Give your life to it. The gospel is so good. And I know maybe this morning seems a little different or a little weird, me just calling out uh, what I believe to be really false teachings that really distort the message of the gospel. And again, I'm not trying to be a jerk up here. I love you guys. and We care about you guys so much and not even close to as much as Jesus does. And you guys are too good to be taken by hollow and deceptive philosophy that will take your eyes right off the gospel and put the eyes right back on yourself. It's just not what you were created for. I hope that you guys will start to crave more and more to go home, to take this thing out, and to just know Jesus as who he is in the truth of the gospel.
to be someone who correctly handles the word of truth, to see your faith come alive as you experience the word of God interacting with your life and changing it. Let me pray for you guys. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you are true and that you love us. Help us be a church that isn't taken by hollow and deceptive philosophy, but is saturated with the hope and the love and the joy that comes from your gospel. Thank you so much for the sacrifices that you've made for us and how much you love us, God. We're so grateful. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you guys, uh, have an awesome week. I'll see you in two weeks.